Buenos dias, friends. Welcome to Leadosophy. This is a international show. You're here with an open mind because that's the rule, not the exception. We have some coffee this morning. It is the fuel for the Leadosophy engine room. Glad you could join us today. We're going to be talking about happiness and joy in the workplace. We'll start with the workplace. Could be a, a broader picture. But where, where does a leader's responsibility begin and end with promoting joyful experiences in the workplace for his or her followers and creating conditions where happiness can be more of the default long-term setting vice short-term setting? State of mind, I'm thinking a state of mind, a longer-term state of mind. Aristotle talked about happiness over pages of his writings, trying to define or pin down a definition of what is happiness. So what does it mean to be happy? How would you define it? And who owns the happiness burden in the workplace? Is it individual burden or is it a collective responsibility? And final thing is I will not assume that there is a, a link between happiness and leadership, but it, happiness is a very weighty subject has been talked about talked about for centuries and will continue to be talked about uh, through philosophical lenses through psychological lenses so let us not assume that happiness is part and parcel of a leader's responsibility let's just discuss it openly i'll be asking a lot of questions here trying to ask more questions than provide answers which is the spirit of leadosophy to deepen our understanding all right here we go Are you ready to permanently fuse leadership and philosophy? Then a word of caution, you are about to enter the fully abstract yet wholly concrete realm of leadosophy. Our ideas are not always so clear and distinct. To validate this proposition, we welcome the host of leadosophy, Tim Wood. All right, welcome back, friends. I got on this happiness kick. They came across a article in Harvard Business Review written by Alex Liu. If you're watching, you can see it up on the screen. If not, I'll walk you through it. Some of the key points in this article, if you're listening. The title is Making Joy a Priority at Work. And again, I think it's important. Leadosophy wants to differentiate between joy and happiness. To me, I think they're kind of synonymous but then they're different in respects and I'm kind of working this out. I mean, they're obviously two different words. When I think of joy, I think of things that can experiences that can give rise to happiness. I think of happiness as a longer term pursuit. Like happiness is potentially the thing where we're heading in that direction of, of happiness. We're, you know, in the pursuit of happiness we're searching, we're doing certain things, we're taking certain steps, we're, we're finding joy in a certain activity, uh, we're finding meaning and purpose doing whatever it might be that makes us happy. So just to differentiate that, because uh, Alex Liu, the, the author of this article, doesn't really talk about happiness, so to speak. He talks about joy, and he, he makes a difference, uh, makes that a distinct uh, topic. So here we go. First thing I highlighted that, that uh, Mr. Liu wrote was, quote, people intrinsically seek joy. 
And joy connects people more powerfully than almost any other human experience. Do you agree? Do people seek joy? And I think it's important here to also, so for me, I would like to differentiate between the hedonistic kind of pleasurable experiences or joyful experiences and one that's bring ma- ones that bring maybe very short-term uh, sensual pleasures, right? Versus maybe the joyful experiences that bring meaning and purpose to someone's life. I think, I think it's safe to say that we can, we can separate those two different types of joy. So in the workplace, what are the type of joyful experiences that we may have that may give rise to a longer term feeling of happiness? And again, I want to make a distinction that just because you are provided with a joyful experience, if you're a leader and you try to provide people with joyful experiences, it does not follow that they will find joy in that experience and it definitely does not follow that they will be happy. Prime example, in the military, we used to have these, well, they probably still do, but we used to have morale parties in the military. Does that still go on, military listeners? You still have, uh, we used to call them forced morale parties. But seriously, we would, like when we were in a command, when I was in a command position, uh, you know, some of those who worked for me would be like, hey, sir, we need to have a, you know, I think it's time we had a morale party to boost morale. And I always found that it was like a paradox, man. It was like, okay, we're going to have a forced morale party to make people try to find uh, joy, not forced, but hopefully they'll just get it automatically. Just never made, made sense to me. I don't, and there were some people that enjoyed them. But even if you, what I'm trying to say is even if you give someone a, a barbecue, a company staff barbecue, it doesn't follow that they're going to enjoy it, that they're going to want to be there, that they're going to think it's a team building exercise. I could go on and on. And it definitely does not follow that it's going to create them long-term happiness. So let's take that off the table right off the bat. If you're a leader out there, there's not a lot of things I can say with certainty, but I can say that even if you strive to, to provide maybe certain staff functions that will hopefully boost morale, you will be unsuccessful if you believe that you're going to cause joy for everybody. It's just not going to happen. Some people go into those uh, events with a state of mind as this is going to suck. I'm being forced to be here. Some people have to go to events like that and it's, you know, it's their only day off of the week. And now they got to go to a company picnic. Are you kidding me? And I have been a part of some horrific company picnics. Let's just put that on the table. Okay, so... Alex here, the author of, of this Harvard Business Review article, likes to he likes to start off with the sports team analogy. If some of you listened to me before, you you know I'm not always keen on on the sports analogies in, in leadership and in the workplace. The sports sport the professional sports, at least in America, those are workplaces. They are places of business. They have their ups and downs and challenges. I'm not discounting any of that. But I think there's might be a difference. And again, 
Leadosophy needs to be 100 with you. You got to be honest. I've never been a professional athlete, so I can't tell you what the experience, work experience is like. So maybe that's terrible of me trying to compare the two or draw distinctions between the two. But anyways, Alex likes to talk about the sports analogy. And he says that, quote, in any team environment, joy arises from a combination of harmony, impact, and acknowledgement, all of which business leaders can engender in their organizations. So harmony, impact, and acknowledgement, that's the author's kind of main argument here. And he goes on to describe harmony, impact, and acknowledgement. He writes, on winning teams, and this is harmony, on winning teams, each player has a distinct role in achieving the goal. And again, continuing with the meta- sports metaphor, which some people, some people think that's kind of a tired cliche. Leadosophy, you know, is, is not real warm to it, but we're going to continue here. On, on winning teams, each player has a distinct role in achieving the goal. One player might be a great passer, another is a great scorer, yet another may bring a certain intensity and competitive fire. When the diverse skills and strengths of teammates are really clicking together, it feels great. Feelings. Leadership is, is a lot about paying attention to feelings. I feel. That's part of it. That's one of my assumptions when I was in leadership is paying attention to the nuances of feelings and emotions in the workplace. I think they matter. I think they, I think they affect missions. I think they can affect mission outcomes, objective outcomes. If people's emotions and feelings aren't necessarily uh, moving in one direction or dedicated or devoted to the task at hand. So that's harmony. We're going to talk about impact. Quote, team harmony leads to impact, which further fuels joy. Even if the result is just a single sublime play or golden moment, the palpable joy of each teammate rises. You can see it in their faces as they throw their arms around each other and jump up and down like jubilant children. They are saying to each other, can you believe we did that? Now, Alex, Alex seems super optimistic. and I like that. I like Alex. I like where he's going with this article. Um, Alex likes the sports metaphors again. I've never been a part of a team that jumped up for joy and said, can you believe we did that? I'm going to be real. Like never 20 years in, in my experience. I will say, however, there were times when I went out on a Coast Guard mission and we did affect a rescue. Maybe we did save a life. We didn't come back and jump for joy. It was... Uh, it was a very, I think it was a very humble, almost like just a kind of, you were in awe a little bit. You were, it was an awe-inspiring moment that you were placed in a position, whether it be luck or whatever, to prolong someone's life when it almost ended. We never jumped for joy. It was nothing, I and mean, he might be, being a little little cliche as well about this, but um, but we did have impact, and that did bring us joy. Those moments did bring us joy, saving a life or even saving property. That that experience brought us joy, short short term joy. Short term, you know, it wears off, and I guess you could say that is a pleasurable experience. And how do you how do you save savor that moment and allow that moment to continue on through time? 
long after the actual experience is over. If you could bottle that and sell it, you'd be a millionaire. All right, so the third factor that Alex talks about is acknowledgement. Great coaches instruct their players to, when they score, immediately point to the teammates who created the scoring opportunity. Acknowledging each player's contributions and cheering for each other powers the entire joy, success, joy cycle. So joy, success, joy cycle will be referred to if I remember my systems thinking days, a vicious cycle. Joy goes up, success goes up, and turn joy goes up. So how do you keep that reinforcing cycle to continue? Might be a little, we might be over a little overzealous to think that that can continue on and on and on. I think we're putting a little too much of a burden on on leaders to think that number one, they're responsible for creating that that cycle, that joy, success, joy cycle. You know, I'm going to ask some questions as we as we end this episode, but. Is it, is it completely the leader's responsibility to provide joyful experiences in the workplace? You know, at least in the civilian world, hopefully you are at a job because you chose to work there. You found some sort of attraction to that job. There was something about that job that you thought would give you some sort of purpose and meaning. So, you know, when I talk about the burden of happiness, who does it fall on? Is it fall in the individual or does it fall on, on leaders? Is it safe to say that we have to take personal responsibility on trying to create our own joyful, joyful experiences that'll hopefully promote long-term happiness? So I'm going to go on with, with Alex's article. He says, this pattern is rife with opportunities for business leaders. And this, I, I think this extends beyond business leaders. Let Lidosophy break in here. Yes, this is a business review article, but you know, this is in the community, you know, because we're not just working in teams in the workplace. You know, you're working in teams, you know, trying to, you know, maybe build a home or, or working on a community project, whatever it might be. But he talks about trying to provide more of these joyful experiences in a team setting. So again, kind of putting the, the burden of responsibility of joyful experiences on the leader Elitosophy believes that it's not solely the leader's responsibility. I think it helps to think of joyful experiences, not the specific experience, so to speak. I think what helps me is, from a leader's perspective, trying to create the conditions. I've used the fertile soil analogy before in leadership, trying to create the fertile soil conditions where plants can grow in a healthy fashion. I think if you focus on the soil conditions that maybe give rise to joyful experiences, I think that might be the approach instead of just throwing morale parties, right? What, what are the things within the workplace that give people joy, not joy, but what give people purpose and meaning? You know, I, I think you can give someone a joyful experience in their work if you remove barriers that are preventing them from doing their work efficiently. If someone is having to, I've talked about the systems and processes before, if someone is working in with a dysfunctional process, whether it's in, you know, registration at a, at a health clinic, um, 
I mean, you name it, making widgets on the assembly line, whatever it is, if you can remove some of the barriers that are making people's job more difficult, that is creating the conditions that will bring more joy instead of pain, right? Because if you are having to find workarounds because your process is dysfunctional, you're getting frustrated, that is a painful experience. It's not a joyful experience. So that's what I mean. That's what I mean by creating the conditions. Uh, Alex Alex goes on in this this article, and they did a. I find this interesting. They did a survey of more than 500 employees over various continents, different size businesses, and it was talking. It was talking. It was it was a survey about joy in the workplace. And they first asked respondents, he says, they first asked respondents to report how much joy they experience in the workplace. We then asked them to rate how well a series of statements reflects their professional experience so we could gauge whether these variables correlate with feelings of work. Their survey findings further suggest that joy stems from believing one's work is truly meaningful. And I'm going to stop right there on, on that sentence again. Who's responsible? Who owns the burden of finding meaning at work? Is it the leader or the follower? Intuitively, I say it's the follower. Intuitively, I say it's the follower. Again, not counting military service, which again is voluntary, at least in the United States. In the civilian workforce, Hopefully you are going into a job where you had the opportunity. It was a voluntary decision. So you decide for, to work for company X. As soon as you're a member of company X, is it someone else's job to, to give you meaning and purpose? I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's the burden we want to place on others. I feel like that's, shirking our responsibilities, our personal inherent responsibilities to try to find our, our own pursuit of happiness, our own path to happiness, whatever that might be. But I will say you can get into an organization and immediately feel or have experiences of discomfort or pain. Maybe it's a terrible onboarding process. Maybe your boss is already not talking to you, not giving you guidance and direction. Again, I'm a firm believer that leaders can cannot motivate, but they can surely demotivate. So if you immediately walk into an organization and you're having demotivating experiences and not joyful experiences, and it doesn't even have to be a joyful experience. Like if you just are getting right answers, you're getting direction, it's going to cause you to have better feelings towards what you're doing. Maybe not these, these instances of joy where you're jumping up and down and say, I did it, right? I think that's a little far-fetched. But just smoother experiences, right? Instead of starting off with complete discomfort and pain. The last couple things I want to talk about in this article, the last one is the joy gap. And there's a graphic up here you can see if you're, if you're watching. And this is the survey of, of more than 500 workers. A survey of more than 500 workers found that while the vast majority of respondents expect 
to feel joy at work, comparatively few actually do. So this is the joy gaps is the difference between those who expect to find joy at work and those who actually find joy at work. And they came up with a joy gap of 53%. So 90% of everyone surveyed expected to feel joy at work, while those who actually feel joy was only 37%. So leaders out there, is it your responsibility to close that gap? Let's just be up front and ask that question. Should leaders prioritize joyful experiences in the workplace? Is it, is it far-fetched to think that leaders should do that? Is there a difference between promoting the conditions that give rise to joy, which then give rise to happiness, by trying to give people, like it's an object, a joyful experience, and then hopefully they translate into happiness? If you've ever experienced happiness in the workplace or joy, let's stick with joy because that's what this article is about. If you've ever experienced joy in the workplace, what was the cause or the source of that joy? And did it give you happiness over the long term? Was the source of joy was in a specific achievement? Was it something you accomplished as a team together? Or was it something deeper? Were you fulfilling some sort of purpose or meaning? When I started creating the Leadosophy show back in in October, November, the more I did it, the more meaning and purpose I found. Doing this, talking, this podcast, talking about leadership, trying to deepen my understanding, doing it in a public way. This not only, each, each podcast I do not only gives me joy, but over a long term, I believe it works on my default setting of happiness. And I think that's what I strive for. I try to, I try to st- try to strive for having a default mental disposition of, of being happy vice being sad or depressed or angry, or it doesn't always work. There are days where I'm agitated, whatever. And my wife can call man. She's great at calling me out. If, if I am off, if something is bothering me, uh, she she can spot that out. She can actually spot that out quicker than I can spot it out myself, which is pretty pretty weird. But yeah, she's got like a like a third eye for spotting spotting when I am off my my happiness game. So I commend her for that. Thanks for looking out. But back to the back to the leader in in the workplace or a follower, again, what were the sources of of joy, joyful experiences? Was there something that happened specifically, you know, keeping with this this cause, causal influences of of joy and then happiness? What what has happened in in your life in the workplace that has given you a sense of purpose or meaning? And did that sense of purpose or meaning translate into happiness. I think we're making an assumption that if you have meaning and purpose, it will provide you happiness, but I don't think that's necessarily true. Someone can have someone can have a, a mental health issue where where uh, maybe they're battling depression or whatever it might be and they actually have meaning and purpose maybe in their in their job, but they still are dealing with emotional pain 
and they are having trouble finding joy in their work. They're having trouble translating that joy into happiness. And if you have someone who works for you like that, and I'm trying not to sound cold here, but is it, can we expect the leader to instill happiness in that person or lead that person to happiness if they're dealing with issues that are preventing them from, from being happy or finding joy in their work? That seems like a lot of responsibility to place on the leader. couple more questions. As a leader, should you focus on making others happy or rather creating the conditions that give rise to happiness? And I've already talked about this. But what I want to further further tack onto this question is what do those conditions look like? That's what I think we should be looking for as leaders. What are the conditions in your workplace, your specific workplace? Not really in general. We can talk about more in general, but this is for you if you're listening. What are the conditions in your workplace that can hopefully promote joyful experiences and then on a long-term help people maybe find some sort of long-term happiness or a state of mind of happiness. That's kind of what I want to end with, with this episode. I do want to bring up one final thought and it's Abraham Maslow. Maslow once said that we cannot find happiness by aiming directly for it. And when he, when he said that, I read that, it was actually a, 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 book, a book on organizational psychology that he wrote. When he said that we, we cannot find happiness by aiming directly for it, I had this vision of the whack-a-mole game. You know, like in a carnival where you have the, you know, the different holes and the moles inside and you go to hit the mole and it pops up somewhere else. So based on that metaphor, happiness is the mole we're trying to whack. And if we're trying to whack that mole, we're never going to hit it. So we have, to, we have to aim indirectly for happiness. So for me, this means finding purpose and meaning. This is what I talked about, about doing leadosophy, creating leadosophy, furthering the idea of leadosophy. That creates long-term, it creates short-term joyful experiences. And it's not an individual thing. I think that's what I love about leadosophy is, is though I am doing this show majority of the time by myself in my office, I do it with I do it with a mindset that other people are listening, they're watching, they're trying to develop their own meaning and understanding. They're asking their own questions. They're skeptical of things I'm saying. So it's a, to me, this is our team effort. So this gives me great joy. Every time I do it, every time I think about leadosophy, it also brings me long-term happiness. I have a, I have a partner, I have a wife who is very supportive of leadosophy. She is my biggest fan of leadosophy. And that also, she is the one who also, you know, the author in that Harvard Business Review article talked about recognition. You know, she is a great supporter. If she didn't support me in this endeavor of of leadosophy and what I'm trying to do, it may create great strain on my joyful experiences. And if you translate that into the workplace, if people are really finding joy in what they do and meaning in their work, 
maybe it's a project they're working on. And as a leader, you come in and take a sledgehammer to that, that project. You may create great pain, vice joy. So that was maybe a, a loose connection between my, my personal leadosophy pursuits and my, my wife's support and then a translation and transition into the workplace. But maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. That's it for leadosophy today. I want to thank, shout out, shout out to uh, Alex Liu for his article titled Making Joy a Priority at Work. Again, differentiating between joy and happiness here. Joyful experiences hopefully give rise to a longer term state of, of happiness. Morale in the workplace. I kept thinking about morale throughout this whole article. It's a, it's a word that's thrown around a lot in the military. <clears throat> morale is high, morale is low. The beatings will continue until morale improves. It was always a funny one. That was, that was a timeless, timeless little pithy statement when I was in the military. But anyway, shout out Alex Liu. Shout out listeners. Thanks for listening or watching wherever you're at. I'm grateful for your time. Remember, Leadosophy is about using the tools of philosophical thought to deepen our understanding of, of leadership and of life, especially when we talk about happiness and joy. You know, where does that line between happiness or joy at home and happiness and joy in the workplace begin or end? Is that line of de- demarcation clear? Or is it fuzzy? I'll leave you with that final question. Thanks for watching, everybody. We'll see you next time. Thanks for watching and listening to another episode of Leadosophy. If you liked what you heard today, hit that subscribe button and check out leadosophy.com and learn more about Tim's ideas on philosophy and leadership. We'll see you next time.